Man, Reese Cups. I kind of wish I was in the children's choir. You can open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges chapter 15. Perhaps you heard about the lady who was sick. She was so sick she finally decided to go to the doctor and find out what was going on. And he examined her. He did a number of tests. And he told her the bad news. He says, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but I'm afraid that you've contracted rabies. You have rabies. Well, the doctor left the room for a moment. And when he returned, the lady was there and she was busy writing on a piece of paper. And he asked, what are you doing? Are you writing out your will, your last will and testament? She said, no, I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to bite. (laughs) It was Heinrich Hein who said, one should forgive one's enemies, but not before they are hanged. Oh, the sweet taste of revenge, revenge, vengeance. What many find out sooner and later is that sweet taste turns bitter. Our man Samson, we've been doing a series on the life of Samson. He is all about revenge. He is all about taking vengeance. In fact, as you'll see here in Judges 15 in a few moments, uh, that is evident and quite evident. Samson, as we're finding out, was an unusual character in many, many ways. His whole life, said Spurgeon, is a series of miracles and follies. He's kind of an enigma. He's one that's kind of hard to to nail down. He's a hero of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, it's just obvious. The inspired Word of God lists him in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And yet he's the type of man you wouldn't want your kids to hang out with. And, And we're left kind of trying to figure out, well, how does that work? How can you be this type of person, yet you're a hero of the faith? He's set apart to be a Nazarite. He's set apart to be a judge, but he spends most of his time doing his own thing rather than being led by the Spirit of God. He's led by his own passions and his lust and his desire for vengeance. Now, in the eight verses that we're going to study together today in Judges 15, you're going to find that everything's on fire. Everything's on fire. In fact, we're calling today's message simply that everything's on fire. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll find Judges 15, we'll begin reading at verse 1. If you don't have a copy, listen carefully as I read God's Word. Judges 15, beginning at verse 1. We'll read down through verse 8. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, Let me go into my wife into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. 
Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he's taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Everything's on fire in these eight verses. I want you to notice, first of all, the fields are burning. The fields are burning. I don't know if you can smell them or not, but the fields are burning. How did this happen? How is it that the fields are on fire and they're burning? Well, one word, Samson. At the time of the wheat harvest, Samson comes and he comes to see his wife. And he comes to consummate the marriage between him and this lady. And he's carrying a young goat with him. Now, guys, listen. Some guys bring chocolates and some bring flowers. But if you really want to impress her, if you'll get you a young goat, I mean, that will really set you apart from all the other fellows. And he appears at the door of uh, her house with this young goat. Nothing says love like a young goat. But in all seriousness, he probably brought along that young goat because they were going to have a feast and celebrate with some friends. And so he brought along this young goat so they could celebrate together. And he knocks on the door and his father-in-law answers. And Samson's pretty blunt here with his intentions. He wasn't interested in playing checkers with his wife or playing some games on the PlayStation. In fact, John 15:1 in the NLT says, later on during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. He said, I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her, but her father wouldn't let him in. Now, remember the last part of the last chapter. We studied chapter 14 together. He got angry and he left. He never consummated this marriage. He left in a huff. And he left her standing at the altar, if you will. And the Bible says that the father of this lady gave her to really Samson's best man. In fact, it says in verse number 2, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. But then it's very interesting what he says next. It's kind of like something just kind of makes you stop and, and kind of wow. He says this, Is not her younger sister better then she, take her instead. I already gave her away, Samson, but hey, her younger sister's better. I imagine she's better looking and she's just better. You can have her if you want her. But interestingly enough, Samson at this point is, is not led by lust. He's actually led by, as you'll see, anger and a desire for vengeance. Samson's beside himself. He's going to get back at these no-good Philistines. Verse 3 says, And Samson said to them, This time, that's interesting, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. This time I'll be blameless. I have to wonder if maybe he was feeling a little bit of guilt. Because you remember the last uh, chapter at the very end, he had made that bet on that riddle. And of course, they cheated, and they cheated him and won. And he owed them 30 undergarments and 30 changes of raiment. And he went and killed 30 Philistines and stripped them of their clothing and brought and paid off his debt. And it's interesting. Here he says, this time I'm going to be blameless if I'm going to, as I'm going to attack these Philistines. And he hatches an unusual plan. Very unusual. 
he catches 300 foxes. Now, in the Hebrew, it also can be translated jackals. And so some scholars think these were like actually jackals and not foxes. It really doesn't matter. The point is the same. He catches 300 foxes here. And this would have taken time. It would have taken effort. I don't know how much time it would take to go out and catch 300 foxes or 300 jackals. But he gets them and he takes these foxes and he gets them in sets of two. And as you read here, he puts their tails together and he ties a torch in the midst of their tails. And so he's got 150 pairs of these animals ready to go. And then he sets them loose. He lights the torches and sets them loose in the fields. I imagine the ASPCA, uh, the cruelty to animals people, uh, they wouldn't think much of Samson. Samson kind of appears like a a college-age guy doing a a stunt or a trick here. I can just kind of see him laughing as he watches these 150 pairs of of foxes or jackals go. I mean, they're on fire. By the way, if you set your bottle on fire, you're going to run try to get it out too, right? And he, he sets them on fire and he watches them. And they're in pairs. They're trying to get away from the fire, probably trying to get away from each other. And as they run into the fields, they set everything on fire. They set the fields on fire. They set the, the, the crop that's already been harvested. And then it begins to spread, not only there, but also to the olive trees and so forth. Talk about destruction. In one fell swoop, he destroys their economy. He destroys their food supply. And Samson's there saying, well, that'll teach them a lesson. That'll teach them to mess with me. But the story doesn't end there. Because, sad to say, not only are the fields burning, but Samson's wife is burning. I don't think Samson figured on this. It says in verse 6, it tells the story. The Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he's taken his wife and given her to his companion. And then the next part says this. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. I guess the picture is they came up and set their home on fire. They were in the home and they burned the place down with them inside. It's interesting because you remember in chapter 14 the threat that the 30 companions made toward Samson's wife was this, that if you don't get the answer to this riddle, we're going to burn you and your father with fire. And lo and behold, here we have, you wonder what type of people these Philistines are, here they are. And I don't think Samson figured on this. I don't think he he thought about this. I I think maybe he thought, I delivered the last blow, I had the last say, I burned their crops and all these things, and that'll teach them. But wham, they retaliate. Not only are the fields burning, but Samson's wife is burning. What a sad sight. But I remind you here, everything's on fire because we find likewise Samson's anger is burning at this point. His anger is burning at this point. In verse 7 it says, Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you and after that I will cease. No, you won't, Samson. You won't cease. That's one of the problems of living this way. And vengeance and revenge. You get me, I'll get you. You get me back, I'll get you back. On and on it goes. A vicious cycle. 
Samson, instead of acting as a judge of God's people, as, a, as one who should be leading the people in that to deliver them, he acts out of personal revenge. It's all about him. It's all about taking revenge. So what did he do? Verse 8 says, he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Now what in the world does it mean that he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter? Ray Pritchard helps, and I've got to warn you, this is kind of, kind of tough to, to think about. He said it's a metaphor which stands for a violent, bloody massacre. Do you know what Samson did at this point? His anger has consumed him. When he kills them, remember hip and thigh with a great slaughter, he rips them apart hip and thigh, arms over here, legs over here, heads over here, and chest over here. Do I have to go any further? This is the Old Testament version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is it right here. Samson was a guy you didn't want to get mad at because he could lose control real fast and just go over the line and it would be too late. You didn't want to get on the wrong side of Samson because he's going to take revenge. He's going to get you back. He's not going to let it lie. He's going to take revenge. You see, the desire to get back at somebody... The desire to take revenge, the desire to show them that they're not going to treat you that way can consume you. It can dominate your life. It can destroy your life. It can make you do dumb stuff. I heard a story about Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln was an attorney, he was approached by a man who wanted to um, bring a lawsuit for $2.50. And the lawsuit for $2.50 was against an impoverished debtor whom he hated. And so as he comes, Lincoln tries to discourage him, but the man was bent on revenge. He's going to sue this fellow. I mean, he's just an impoverished debtor. Probably didn't have $2.50 to pay it off, but it didn't matter. He wanted to take revenge. And so Lincoln tried to discourage him. He wouldn't be discouraged. And so Lincoln said, well, listen, I'll take the case, but, but my fee is $10. And the man willingly paid Abraham Lincoln $10. And what Lincoln did is he took half the money and he gave it to the defendant. And then the defendant paid his $2.50 out of that. But even more amazing was the fact that Lincoln, to, to Lincoln, was the fact that the client, he was smugly satisfied. He had gotten revenge. But at what cost? I mean, talk about even something that makes no sense whatsoever. You paid yourself off and yet you're, you're excited because you took revenge. I think it was Gary Phillips who said uh, so wisely, if you retaliate, if you retaliate, then your enemy has won in a sense. He succeeded in bringing you down to his own level and making you less than what God wants you to be. We think, oh, if I could just get back at them. If I could just take revenge. If I could just show them. And yet we forget that the sweet taste of revenge turns bitter very, very quickly. Maybe you're thinking though as you're listening to this today, but preacher, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to let people walk all over top of me? Am I supposed to let people take advantage of me? Am I supposed to let people mistreat me? Well, listen, at times... There's legal recourse you can take. Um, you can pursue that through the proper channels of law and the justice system. 
And that is proper and that is right. If, if something has happened and you can pursue legal recourse, you can do that. But what we have to understand is when that's not possible and when it seems that we can't do anything, the last thing you want to do is to take matters into your own hands. To say, I'll have revenge. You have to give that matter to the Lord and allow the Lord to work it all out the way He decides. I want to give you two passages of Scripture today. I would encourage you to write these references down. I'll read them to you out of the NLT. And I want you to listen. The first one's from Romans. And then the second one is from Matthew. In Romans, of course, you have the inspired Word of God. And in and Matthew the same. And in Matthew, you like to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Himself. But in Romans 12, 17-21, I want you to hear what it says. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So much wisdom there. Don't take matters in your own hands. Don't repay evil for evil. You be honorable. You do what's right. You trust it to the Lord. You, you realize and you trust in the fact that God's going to work everything out. God's going to take care of setting everything straight. Instead, you live in a way that pleases God. In fact, you treat them well when they treated you um, not so well. The Lord Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5, 44-48. But I say, love your enemies. Mm. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as, a true, as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Those two passages we just read, that's good preaching and hard living at times. To love your enemies? To do good to those who have mistreated you? To pay back good for evil? To not take matters in your own hands? To not be overcome with evil? To be like our Father in heaven? That, that's good preaching and hard living. In fact, can I just tell you this? If left up to us, it's impossible living. We can't do this on our own. This is not something we can work up on our own. We've got to have God working in us and we've got to have His strength and His power and only through His strength and power as the Holy Spirit works in us can we live this way. Because the natural tendency for most of us, let's just be honest about it, and I'll include myself in this, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You better hit me good because I'm going to hit you back. See, that's the flesh. That's not being led of the Spirit. 
being led of the Spirit is you, you hit me and I don't hit back. And, and left to ourselves, we can't do that. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now again, I'm not saying that you let someone abuse you. I'm not saying you don't stop them. I'm not saying you don't call for help. I don't say you don't do proper channels and law and justice and all that. All that's proper and good. But I'm just speaking kind of metaphorically here. When someone does you dirty, can you pray for them? Can you do good for them? See, we've got to have the Lord's help to do that. I mean, we see that in the life of our Lord Jesus, don't we? As they were there, they took Him and they're beating Him and mocking Him and plucking the beard from His face and whipping Him and saying all kinds of horrible things. He didn't strike back. He took all of that. He went to the cross and they nailed Him to the cross and He's there and, and they're, they're walking by mocking and laughing and jeering Him. What did He say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You see, he did not respond in kind. He died for those people. He died for us. If we're going to be like the Father, if we're going to be like the Son, if we're going to be like God, then we have to live in a way to where it's not about us and getting vengeance. It's trusting the Lord and saying, Lord, yes, this hurts. Father, this is difficult. This is, this is, this is just horrendous. But I'll not strike back. And I'll not take matters in my own hands. I commit this to you. I commit it to your care. I leave it with you. I trust you in it. You're going to set all things right in your time and in your ways. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. You see, I want you to understand something very important. If you do not forgive, if you do not commit the matter to the Lord and move on, it can destroy your life. It can destroy your life. It can consume you. It can dominate your life to where it's all you think about. How they, they did me wrong. Look at what they did. I'm going to get them back. To the point where you even rejoice when bad things happen to them. You even hope bad things happen to them. You wish bad things would happen to them. If you're not careful, you might even pray. You might even pray that bad things what happened to them. Now, I've got to say a word about the Lord here. Did you notice how gracious God is? Now, again, God uses Samson. Now, Samson's motives are wrong. Everything here is about Samson. It's not about God. It's not about the people of God. It's about, I'm going to get back at this Philistines. Look what they've done to me. I'm going to get them back. But God used it anyway to bring about more deliverance. Remember, he told his parents back before Samson was ever born, he's going to begin to deliver my people from the Philistines. And even though God didn't condone it, he didn't cause it, he didn't sanction it, he didn't approve it, he, he still used Samson in spite of Samson. He still brought about good out of Samson's wrongdoing. He brought about a deliverance from more of the oppression that the people of God were undergoing here under the Philistines. Well, let's get real personal for a moment. Let's talk about what this means to us. I don't think any of y'all are going to go catch foxes this afternoon and light fields on fire. I don't think anybody here is going to go burn anybody's house down. So how does this apply to us? What does this mean to us? 
Well, let me ask you this. Who is it that you need to forgive today? Who is it, if you were honest, you would love to take revenge on? You would love to get back for what they did to you. And I mean, this may have happened this past week or it may have happened 20 years ago. It may have happened in middle school or high school. It may have happened in college. It may, have been hap- it may have happened when you were much, much younger and you've been holding on to that hurt and that grudge and you've been nursing it. and You've been growing in your anger over that issue. And if truth be known, it has turned in a real sense from just a something that you were done wrong to bitterness and and an overwhelming desire to get even. Listen, you need to forgive that person and give that matter to the Lord. You say, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. You're probably right. You say, well, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Right again. But you have to forgive them. You have to commit that matter to the Lord and leave it with Him. And truly forgive them and say, Lord, I choose to forgive them with Your help. I give the matter to You. I trust You with it. You do with it whatever You want. I believe Your Word. You're going to set all things straight. Now listen, listen. Listen. Forgiving them does not mean that you're agreeing with what they did to you was right. Because I'm going to say it probably wasn't right. If if you've been holding on to it this long, it probably wasn't right. It's probably horrible. It may have been awful. And forgiving them does not mean that you're saying what they did was right. That's not what it means at all. Furthermore, forgiving them does not mean that you have to go back to them at a close personal relationship with them. Because in all honesty, it might not even be safe to do so or possible to do so. I remember counseling a young lady one time and that was the hang-up it seemed to be in her life because she really thought she had been she had experienced abuse and in her mind she really thought, well, if I forgive, then I have to set everything back the way it was. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what it means to forgive. It's not saying what they did was okay. It's not saying I'm going to form a close relationship with them. It's not saying I'm going to be as it was before. It may not be safe to do so or possible to do so. It could be that you're angry at somebody that's dead. But you've got to forgive. And with God's help, you can forgive them. If you're a Christian today, you can forgive them with God's help. Because listen, as has been said, I never forgot this since I've heard it. Because it's so, so true. Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It harms you. It destroys your life. Here's the reality. The other person may not even be aware that you're angry at them. That they've harmed you. Now, they may be. It may be a horrible situation. And they're well aware of it. But it may be a case where they don't even know. And yet you've been nursing that grief. You've been keeping it alive all these years. You've been feeding it. You've been adding logs to the fire. And you've let let it burn. And burn bright and let it burn more. If you're not careful, it'll catch everything in your life on fire. It'll destroy everything it touches. Think for a few minutes, Christian. 
about God is how God has forgiven you. Because sometimes we struggle with this whole idea of forgiveness. But think about how God has forgiven us. Think about all the things that God has forgiven us for. In fact, we know if we came to the cross and we trusted Jesus Christ that He forgave us all of our sin, past, present, and future forever. Buried it in the sea of His forgetfulness. Never to bring it back up again. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, if we're in Christ, there's that, there's there now for no condemnation for us. He's forgiven us over and over and over again. Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold a grudge? Aren't you glad that God doesn't seek revenge on you? Aren't you glad this week when you mess up and you fail and you sin and you go to the Lord in prayer, He doesn't say, I don't want to hear from you. You remember what you did two years ago? No, 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 no. You asked Him to forgive you of that. He did. It's gone. Never to be brought up again. If we want to be like God, then we have to forgive like God. Samson was used by God in spite of his anger, his hatred, his lust, his revenge. But imagine what could have been. Imagine what could have been in Samson. We're not done studying his life. And as you know, it doesn't get better and better in many regards. In fact, we just keep going down, 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 and at the end. But he's still a hero of the faith. He still trusted God. But imagine what could have been if Samson would have taken the right approach toward life. Now here's the question today. We're done. Is there anybody that you need to forgive? Is there any anger or bitterness or resentment you're hanging on to today? If so, I want to encourage you. Give it to God. Forgive them. Trusted His care. And let it go. Let's do this. Would you bow with me? Your head bowed, your eyes closed. I'm talking to believers. If you've never trusted Christ, that's the starting point today. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. We'd love to help you with that if you're not sure about that. But believers, I'm talking to you. Would you allow God to examine your heart right now? Is there anyone that you need to forgive? If so, would you ask God right now, right where you're seated, to help you to forgive them and trust that matter to Him. I want to give you a moment to talk with the Lord. you're doing in the lives of your people this morning. I don't know what your Holy Spirit has put His finger on. I don't know who may be here and wrestling with this whole idea of forgiving those who've wronged them. It could be, Father, that if we were completely honest, 
It could be that some here this morning, their anger and their bitterness and their resentment is really toward you. It could be they prayed a prayer or maybe many prayers and things didn't turn out the way they hoped that they would. It could be that something went wrong in their life and they blame you. Lord, would you open their eyes today? Help them to see that though we don't always understand your will, your will is perfect and right and good. And you always have your glory and their good in mind, even when it's painful, even when it hurts, even when it's filled with disappointment. So whether it's toward a person or toward you, Father, I pray that you would help these brothers and sisters who are struggling with this to forgive and entrust to your care some things today. That they can leave this place free. They can leave this place refreshed, renewed, with, with a lightness about their step. Because they're no longer harboring that anger and that bitterness and that resentment. But they've forgiven. And they're free. So Lord, would you just do a work, continue to do a work. Help us as we continue to study this servant of yours. Father, so much of this we're just a little bit confused about. So help us to continue to grow and be challenged. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, we'll just do a verse 461. And again, if we could pray with you, we'd be glad to do that to the service. Pastor Larry's here. I'm here. We can minister to you in some way. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd love to talk with you more about that. But I thought we'd close with 461 today, just that opening verse. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. And um, we trust that God will continue to bless you as you think about His Word and His goodness today. Just the first verse, 461. Let's stand and sing.